All right, church, if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to Luke chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 22 through 30 today, here in a few moments. But yeah, we had a good time in Arkansas at the conference. It's called the Preachers of Grace Conference. And one thing was confirmed to me, really something that I've been emphasizing to you guys here as of late, that, uh, man, whenever, whenever you're... Uh, just full of the Spirit of God, abiding in His presence. It's okay to get excited. That's what we were reminded of this week from about 55 preachers, <laughs> at least the few who spoke. It's okay to get excited, guys. Great. <laughs> and I'm not saying you don't. Everybody expresses it a different way, but I want you to remember that. We have been saved from the wrath of God by Jesus Christ. Yeah. If we can't get excited about that, <laughs> there's something wrong. So that, that was definitely a confirmation. It was a blessing to our soul to see, um, to meet a bunch of men who uh, weren't afraid to get excited. <laughs> so it's contagious. So yeah, we're in Luke chapter 4 today, verses 22 through 30. Uh, the title of the message, if you have your bulletin, is called Man's Hatred of Truth. I think we're going to clearly see that today. Man's hatred of truth. If you've ever, you know, in my circles, my experience preaching the gospel in the public, and you you get maybe the police called on you, and and most of the time they show up and it's because of this. Well, somebody was offended. <laughs> somebody was offended by what you were saying, so we had to come. There was a complaint, so we had to come. Usually the crime is that somebody was offended. And so, even when we were in court years ago, over a decade ago, sitting before the city attorney, who's the head of like a thousand police officers, he was trying to tell me the reason why we were... It was all over the, the, the argument of whether we could have amplification or not. And he, he said, it, it has nothing to do with the message. And I said, sir, it has everything to do with the message. It's always the message that that we preach the message of the Bible that offends this world. And so, I just want to say this right from the beginning. Guys, you need to remember this. That, that, that the world hates the truth. You need to remember that. Because it will help you when, when you're facing it personally. It will help you to remember that you should expect that. You know, we shouldn't add to it by the way we act. But, but when, when the world pushes back and hates the truth, we need to just remember that. Don't be caught off guard. Don't think you're saying something wrong or doing something wrong uh, if, you, if you have such a pushback. And so the, the church today, I say church, universal, where, where we live anyway, seems to be not very concerned with the truth. When we look at the state of things in the church, as the church as a whole, we're afraid to speak the truth. Right? We're afraid to just speak the unadulterated truth. Because why? We might offend somebody. Uh, I think we need to remember, really, as Christians, we need to be much more concerned about offending God than about offending sinful man. So that's... Uh, but when we think of the truth, you know, I've been reading... I think I told some of you guys this. I don't remember who I told, but I've been just reading some stuff, uh, my answers in Genesis. And really just being refreshed at... Um, I just studying the uh, 
you know, the six-day creation and, and how Genesis, guys, we need to remember that it is literal, right? We take it literal. But even in the church, there's compromise about, about even a literal creation. That we're, that we're afraid to just say what the Bible says. That so many are caving in and, and, and want to throw millions of years in the text when it's not there. A literal six days, a literal Adam, a literal Eve, a literal devil. This is not poetry. Literal, a literal fall. Literal sin. A literal flood. These type of things. Because if you, if you compromise in Genesis, then Paul makes no sense in Romans chapter 5. When he said, death came into the world through one man, or sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. And if you don't take Jesus literal, then it's hard to take Paul literal. And it's hard to understand that the cross is literal. You know, I found out through some of this reading that, that most seminaries nowadays don't even teach a literal creation, literal six-day creation, like Genesis so clearly says. It's just compromise. Jesus being the only way, right? We talked about that the other day, and I believe Wednesday, that Jesus is not a way, right? He's not one of the many ways. He is the way. And we talked about how that was such a shocking message to this world, a scandalous message to this world, that so many professing Christians are even afraid to say when they're standing before a group of people that yes, Jesus is the only way. But we, we waffle, we compromise on that. We compromise on homosexuality. It's getting to be a common thing, is it not? You hear some pastor, you hear some Christian that cannot just stand up and say, homosexuality is sin. The church compromises with the truth. The church even compromises when you're trying to, when you're trying to be a faithful, biblical evangelist. Right? What do you hear? You're doing it all wrong. And why do they say that? Well, they're responding negatively to you, so you must be doing it wrong. We're going to see if, we're going to see if that was the case with Jesus today. You know, you get, a, you get a negative reaction from a world that the Bible says hates Christ, and you're told you're doing it wrong. How many decisions are you getting? Oh, you must not be getting a lot of decisions. You're doing it wrong. It's a compromise with the truth, is what it is. You know the one thing that can the one one thing that characterizes a true Christian church. Listen to what Paul says in Romans seven verse twenty two. This is with, and this is when Paul is just struggling with sin. Okay, but listen to his heart. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. I delight in the truth. Even when we're struggling as Christians, we don't argue with the truth. We delight in the law of God. The law of God, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 7, that the carnal man or the, or the man that's in the flesh, it's speaking of the unbeliever, is hostile to the law of God. He cannot subject himself to the law of God. But the Christian, we love the law of God. We love the truth. But beloved, the sad thing is, is the world hates the truth and we must remember that. We must remember that the world hates the truth and sadly, many churches and professing Christians do too when you get right down to it. They don't like the truth of God's Word. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. The truth of, of man's, meaning man, generally speaking, mankind, the world. 
They hate the truth. And if you don't believe this, you're going to be very confused. And, and, and very when, when, you, when you see... Because I think... Many, and I'm talking about... There could be genuine Christians, obviously, that aren't taught well. And they, they have this idea that if we just... Right? If you just uh, act like Jesus, the world's going to love you. That's not the case. That's not the case. When we speak the truth, it's going to create opposition no matter how lovingly you try to tell it. And let me be clear on that. When we talk about proclaiming the truth, Paul says speak the truth in love, okay? We want to speak the truth in love. Rocky spoke the truth in love and they still told him to shut up. If that doesn't tell us anything. So it's the truth, guys. It's the truth that's always under attack. And so on the back of your bulletin, uh, we have three points today. I have a statement up top that I would like to like for us to read, think about as we go through the sermon, and it's this. Man's opinion of and reaction to the truth should never affect your love for and proclamation of the truth. Just because man reacts negatively to the truth, even hates the truth, or the church wants to compromise the truth, or you're told you're narrow-minded, you're a bigot, it should never affect your love for the truth, for that which you know is the truth, and your and your desire to proclaim that truth. And so that being said, let's look at the text here in Luke chapter 4, verses 22 through 30. Luke 4, 22 through 30. And it says, all were speaking well of Him. Well, let me, let me back up just a minute and just review from last week real quickly. You guys remember He was in the synagogue and He stood up and He read a portion out of the prophet Isaiah and then he said, this has been fulfilled, right? Right? He said, this is fulfilled in me. I'm the one who this is talking about. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has appointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. In verse 21, he says, he says today the Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So that's where we left off last week. Obviously, Jesus really describing the ministry of Jesus Christ, describing our mission as Christians, that the gospel sets free sinners. Sets sinners free, right, from sin. But what do we know that anytime the gospel message is presented, it's a, it's a humbling thing to those who are hearing it, because what it's implying is you are a sinner. If you're going to respond to this message, you must respond humbly and realize this is talking about you. You're not good. You're, you're fallen, you're wretched, you're guilty. And so this good news is for you if you'll be willing to humble yourself. But anyway, he says, this is, it's been fulfilled. I am He. That's where we left off last week. So verse 22. And it says, all were speaking well of Him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from His lips. And they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? And He said to them, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. But I say to you in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land. And yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. And all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage 
as they heard these things. And they got up, and they got up and drove him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill in which their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. But passing through, the midst, through their midst, he went his way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come and bow before you, Lord. We bow before your truth. And Father, we recognize this as the Word of God. And Lord, I pray that you would assist me today in the presence, through the presence of your Spirit, God, that your Word would go forth with power, that, that your people's hearts and minds would be, would be drawn to the truth of the Word by your Spirit, God, that there would be sanctification, transformation, exhortation, Lord, to obey what we hear. Father, we just pray that Jesus Christ would be, would be glorified today, God, and that your will would be done in each of our lives. And it's in His name we ask these things. Amen. So we're going to look at three things today in this text. Man's hatred of the truth. The first thing we're going to see is man's desires over the truth. In verses 22 through 24, we're going to see man's desires over the truth. In other words, most of the world are more interested in their desires, the the desires that they have, rather than knowing what the truth is. And... um, So let's look at this in verse 22. It says, All were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, Is this not Joseph's son? I'm going to read verses 23 and 24 as well. And he said to them, No doubt you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And whatever we heard was done at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. So in verse 22... It says they were they were they were all speaking <clears throat> they were all speaking well of him. We'll, we'll see that that's going to change real quickly. But that word it literally means to bear witness. They were bearing witness with what he said. In other words, they really could not deny the truth of what he was saying. They really could not. They could not actually deny the truth of what was being said. So they can't. They, they truly don't have an argument against what he's saying. And also, they can't argue with his life either. He, he was, uh, the thing about Jesus Christ is he had developed a great re- reputation as a rabbi. And so they, they really couldn't argue with his life or with his message. And beloved, that needs to be us before we move on. We need to, uh, we need to live the kind of life where truly men can't argue with what we're saying. In the sense of, I mean, of course they can argue, but we, are, we want to preach what the Word of God says. Thus saith the Lord. And so that's the way it was. They really couldn't argue with him. Luke, in Luke 2, verse 52, it says they had, um, Jesus, it says Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So they had watched him grow up. They could not have a legitimate argument against his teaching or his life. And, beloved, before we move on, that again, we can, we can take something from that in, in every one of our lives. And Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 16, and, and this is a, he's, he's addressing Timothy as a, as a, this is a pastoral letter, but it will apply to every single one of us. He says, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. That's so important, guys. That's so important. That yes, we need to be those who proclaim the truth, but you need to pay attention to your life as well. Because when we share the truth with people, they need to be able to look at our life and not have anything to accuse us of either. So it says they wondered in verse 22. They were all speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling 
from His lips. That word wonder, that phrase, it means there was an admiration going on from the people. When Jesus was speaking, there was a, there was a certain amount of admiration. They, they admired Him in a sense. At his, it says that His gracious words, no doubt Jesus spoke as no man ever spoke. You think about the teaching that they would have been used to. Maybe the Pharisees, the different religious leaders. So yes, they were, there was an admiration at the very gracious words coming out of the Lord's mouth. But as I thought about this, I thought this is such a common thing that these people admired what Jesus said. You ever, have you ever shared the truth with somebody? And they seem to, there's a, there's a certain amount of admiration. But there's no bowing of the knee. That's, that's what this crowd is. They admire the words of Jesus, but there's no surrender to what He's saying. There's no surrender to Him. His person. This is a common thing that we see in the world, right? Yeah, people. And man, I really admire you. I admire what you're doing. I admire the message. I have a respect for it. And, and many of them will profess to be Christians, but, but you look at their life, there's no, there's no true love for Christ. There's no hatred for sin, but they have an admiration of you. You ever heard this? Maybe, maybe from your family. You know, you, you come to Christ and you realize that you haven't done anything, that God just saved you. He delivered you from sin. And they say, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> That's, I've heard that. Like You don't need to be proud of me. No, you need to hear about my Savior. And so they're just admiring Jesus Christ. Sometimes, again, they, we experience that. I preached a, a funeral a year ago of a family member in Trisha's family. And then another family member came up to her that she had told me this. And this person we knew, this person's not a Christian. We've seen this person resist the Gospel. But there was an admiration. Brady, he's a, he's a man, he's a, he's a good speaker. Like an admiration of the way I spoke. And it's just like, I hear that, and it grieves me. That's all you took from that? I preach the Gospel to you. And you just want to admire like the preacher's speaking ability. And so that's, what, that's what's going on here. They admire Jesus Christ. But beloved, Jesus Christ doesn't need admirers. He needs those to worship Him. That's what we're called to do. We're called to worship. Not, not admire Him. What's going to be going on in heaven? Is it going to be full of people just admiring Jesus? No. It's going to be the church on their face worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, right? We ask the question, why would you want to go to heaven? Jesus is going to be there. <laughs> and we're going to be worshiping Him. If you don't have any desire to worship Him now, heaven's not for you. But they said in verse 22, they said, so there's some admiration going on, wondering, you know, at these words, which is, he's such a great speaker, obviously. And they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? Have you guys heard the, 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 the phrase, familiarity brings contempt? That's what's going on here. And, that, and what that means, it just means when you're familiar with somebody or something, you know, then there's a temptation to, that you lose a certain amount of respect. You can become bored with somebody or something. You, be, you can become careless in your thoughts towards, uh, towards that person or that thing. I think the best way you can say it is you can take someone for granted. Somebody very special. In this case, Jesus Christ. They don't realize who it is that's in their midst. This great teacher. But we do that so often. You, you can take a... You think of a great athlete that grows up in a town. You know, world-class athlete, but you're so used to them. You don't realize how great they are until they go off. 
But we can do that with people in our family. You can do that with a boss. You ever had a really good boss? I've got a really good boss right now. I've had some really bad bosses. <laughs> and I don't want to take him for granted because I've told him, I said, you better not ever leave here. Jamie, you know what I'm talking about. A friend. You can take a friend for granted. You get so used to them, you don't realize what a great friend they are, how loyal they are. God forbid a spouse. You have a good spouse, you have a good marriage, don't take it for granted. I don't say this because I'm up here, but because I've been so many years down there where you're at. You can take, a, you can take your pastor for granted. Take a preacher for granted. You know, you hear somebody over and over and over. And you just, that's, that's, that's human nature. But they were thinking lightly of Jesus Christ. That's, that's, that's what's going on here. They thought, they, they thought lightly of Jesus compared to what He deserves. Jesus doesn't deserve our admiration. He deserves our worship. Now, I mean, I guess admiration could be a part of it. We admire Him. We love Him. We reverence Him. There's no reverence going on here. And so, beloved, we must be careful as well that we don't do this with Jesus Christ. I think this is really tempting for maybe somebody who grows up in a Christian home. Even, even a true convert, a, 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 true, a true believer maybe gets saved young. You grow up in a Christian home. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Don't take Him for granted, guys. He saved you. Regardless of whether you're old, whether you're young, Jesus saved us. We can take the Bible for granted. We all have multiple Bibles, more than likely. We have them on our phones. We have the gospel on the radio, gospel on our phone. We can take the gospel for granted. We can take the local church for granted. Are you truly reverent in these, with these things? Do you, do you revere the Word of God? Do you revere Christ? Beloved, that's one reason we try to emphasize the gospel here. We try to preach the gospel to ourselves. You hear that phrase? Preaching the gospel to one another. Why? What happens when, you, when you're always reminded of the gospel? See, the gospel... It not only is the power of God unto salvation, but it also is what God uses for our sanctification more than anything else. Because what happens when you think of the gospel? When you preach the gospel to yourself, what are you being reminded of? How sinful you are. How sinful you were. The reality that you deserve to go to hell. That God's wrath was upon you, right? And we're preaching the gospel, and you're hearing it preached here, you're hearing it preached when we go to the bus station. It's a reminder of what God has done for us. And so we're continually being reminded of the truth of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That God has saved you. That you didn't deserve anything good from God. And so, if you're ever growing cold, if you're ever growing dull, and you find yourself taking Christ for granted, think of the Gospel of Jesus Christ and what He did for you, and where you would be without Him. And so there was some shallow, I will say shallow, admiration going on, on the surface. But in verse 23, it says this, it says, And He said to them, No doubt you will quote this proverb to Me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. So, so this was just surface level admiration going on. But you know what's going on right here, guys? This is a clear indication that Jesus knows what they're really thinking. Jesus knows what they're really thinking. He's, and He's going to pinpoint it. So this is definitely one of those occasions where the Father allowed the Son to exercise some of His omnipotence. Uh, uh, is that the right, did I use the right word? His all-knowing? Omniscience. 
Yes, his omniscience. So he was exercising some of that here. He was reading their thoughts, and they weren't they were not good thoughts. So this is what he means, guys. If you look at verse 23, I'm going to paraphrase what he's saying. When he says, No doubt you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. They're saying this. Jesus, and and He's telling them this. This is what you're thinking. If you want us to believe that you're really the Messiah, you need to do the works for us. You need to do the miracles for us that we heard that you did at Capernaum. That's what He's saying to them. Jesus, you did it there. Now we demand you to do it here. If you want us to believe you're really the Messiah, you need to do those miracles here. After all, Jesus, this is your hometown. Aren't you going to do them here for us? You know what's implied in this, guys? The, the, the kind of attitude they're carrying? Very, very ungrateful attitude. Talking to the Son of God, demanding that He do these things. Very ungrateful. Very, It's revealing an unbelieving heart. These people are unbelieving. And we know that because listen to Matthew's account when he was in his hometown. He did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. And he's pinpointing it right now. Now, it's not, that he, it's not that He couldn't do the miracles. He chose not to. He's like, I'm not going to do these miracles with you or for you. But again, they were demanding. That goes along with what Paul says about the Jews. The Jews demand a sign. So that's what they were doing. They were demanding a sign. Well, what's going on here? The preaching wasn't enough. The preaching of the Word wasn't enough. Is that, is that not familiar in our world? That's all over. The preaching wasn't enough. He had just clearly given out what He came to do. That I am He. I'm the One. I'm the One who can deliver you. I'm the One who can deliver you from all of this bondage of sin. They're not interested in that. They want the goodies. We heard that you did these miracles. Give us the goodies, Jesus. You ever heard this? If God would just fix all my problems, then I'll believe. I'll accept God on my terms. No, no, no. When we tell people to repent, beloved, the root word of repentance, it means to have a change of mind. That would go to the very heart of that statement. Right? I'll accept God on my terms. No, you need to repent. That means you you need to do an about face and you need to understand that you will accept God on His terms. And His terms is this, that He sent His Son and without Him, you're on your way to hell. And you need to be willing to agree with that. That you are deserving of the judgment of God because of your sin. That's God's terms. To enter through the narrow gate. There is no other way. So it's God's terms or, or perish. When Jesus said, unless you repent, you will perish. That's the message to that person. I'll accept God on my terms. No, you won't. You'll stand before God and He will judge you. And if you want forgiveness, you must come to a son. They want their fleshly desires met. That's what these people want. Beloved, did you know that's what the prosperity gospel offers? The prosperity gospel offers that which every sinful human being desires. The lust of the flesh. Right? The lust of the eyes. The boastful pride of life. That's what the prosperity gospel offers. And that's what the, that's, that is in the heart of sinful man. Meet my desires. I want comfort. I want money. I want this. I want that. I've had many people tell me, God's done nothing for me. Really? 
God's done nothing for you. Are you breathing? Are you breathing right now? So you're the one able to keep your heartbeat going. You're the one pumping that blood through that heart. Whose air is it you're breathing right now? God's done nothing for me. Now that's, that's just the, that's the nature of sin. That we would have the audacity. Because we've all done it at one time or another. God's done nothing for me. No, these people, they're not interested in the truth. To point number one, they're interested in their desires. Not the truth. And so verse 24, he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. So instead of performing miracles, you know what Jesus does? He gives them his own little proverb here. That no prophet is welcome in his hometown. And so now basically what he's doing in verse 25 to 27, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. He said, now I'm going to give you a couple examples. If you know your Hebrew Bibles, I'm going to give you a couple of examples of this very thing. And that's where he takes us in verses 25 through 27. Point number two, verses 25 through 29, is not only does man choose his desires over the truth, but secondly, we're going to see man's despising and hating the truth, which is really the, the emphasis of this passage. Man's despising and hating the truth in verse 25 through 29. So in 25, verses 25 through 27 is where he gives us these two illustrations from the Old Testament that we read. The first one, I'm going to read part of it. Back in 1 Kings 17, if you want to turn there. But I'm just going to read verses 8 through 16. Say a few things about it. And we will come back to these again and again as we go throughout the message. 1 Kings 17, verses 8 through 16. Then the word of the Lord came to him, to Elijah, saying, and remember the context here, there is a drought in Israel. There is a drought in Israel because of Israel's sin, because of their idolatry, being led by wicked King Ahab okay, and his, and his wife, his lovely wife Jezebel. Okay, yeah, okay, I'm glad I heard laughs. So, hey, you know, a lot of Christians, they choose biblical names for their children, which is good, but not all biblical names. <laughs> Don't be naming your son Ahab or your daughter Jezebel. Just a little pastoral counsel. Yeah, these are... <laughs> that's right. That's right. So Ahab and Jezebel, that's who's, that's who's leading the nation. At King Ahab, his wife Jezebel. And so, so the land of Israel is under a drought right now because of their sin, because of their idolatry. So let's read the text here. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Elijah, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please give me a little water in a jar that I may drink. As she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord God lives, I have no bread, only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in the jar. And behold, I am gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for me my son and my son that we may eat and die. That we may eat it and die. Then Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go. Do as you have said, but make me a little bread cake 
from it first and bring it to me, and afterward you may make one for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So, so she went and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and her household ate for many days. The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of her oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. And so Jesus says in verse 25 and 26, But I say to you in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the sky was shut up for three years and six months when a great famine came over all the land. And yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. So just a few brief thoughts on this and we'll go to the next one. So here you have this, this famine in Israel because of their sin. Remember the context. Why is Jesus telling, this, telling these two stories? It's, it's coming right off of verse 24. Truly I say to you, no, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. So what we see here, that, that Elijah obviously was rejected by those, by those in his own land. And we'll, and we'll see, you can, uh, a few verses up in, in, that, in that account in 1 Kings, it says it was the Lord who sent him away. Go, go and seek out the certain widow. She'll care for you. So Elijah was rejected by those in his home, in his own land, so he sought refuge elsewhere. And then through Elijah, not only were he, his needs met, but he met the widow's needs as well. Now we're going to come back to that. The second one is in 2 Kings 5, 1-19. through 19. We read it earlier. We're not going to read it again. I'll just make some comments about it. But in verse 27... He gives the second example here, the second illustration. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet. And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. So Naaman the Syrian, we read about earlier, right? He was a captain of the army. He was a valiant warrior. But what was he also? He was a leper, okay? And so if you guys remember when we read it, there was a young Israelite girl that had been taken captive through a, through a raid and, and so she was a servant of Naaman's wife. And so she knew that her master had leprosy. And so she mentioned, she mentioned, man, if, if, he, could just, if he could just find Elisha the prophet, he would be healed. So Naaman told the king of Syria about Elisha, and the king of Syria, or the king of Aram, sent Nathan, or sent Naaman and a letter and some gifts to the king of Israel that you may cure him of leprosy. We read about that earlier. And so the king of Israel kind of got wigged out because he's thinking he's getting this letter from, a, from, a, from the king of Syria saying, hey, hey, heal this, heal this soldier of mine of his leper. And so the king of Israel, he's getting fearful, saying, man, he, what is he trying to pick a fight with me? I'm not God. I can't heal this guy. So Elisha hears the whole thing. And Elisha tells the king of Israel, send him to me. Send Naaman to me, and then he shall know that there's a prophet in Israel. Remember the context, a prophet's not welcome in his hometown. So Naaman went to Elijah's house. Naaman, the, 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 the soldier, went to, to Elijah's house with all of his chariots and all of his horses and all of his pomp. Right? And what does Elijah do? Elijah doesn't even come to the front door. But he just sends his messenger. <laughs> hey, go tell the valiant warrior. Hey, go down here and dip in the river seven times. 
Go down there and dip in the Jordan. Guys, if you know anything about the Jordan River, it was dirty. Jordan River's not clean. It's not the Illinois River. It's not the, is it the Buffalo River, Jamie? And, you know, the Arkansas, the, you got the White River, the Buffalo River. Those are the rivers that you can, you can, you can see your feet. It's so clear, it's crystal clear. The Jordan's filthy. And so Naaman was furious. He said, I, I'm thinking at least the prophet would come out here and, and, and heal me, right? Call upon his Lord, wave his hands. But no, he wants me to go dip in this dirty river. That would have been like Thunderbird back a long time ago when it was red and muddy. Now i got these three rivers back home. And he wants me to dip in this filthy river? He was angry. He was humiliated. That, that, that Elisha would ask him to stoop that low. But then, it, then his servants come and, and talk some sense into him. They're like, Naaman, you said you'd do anything to be healed. He just asked you to dip in the... You ought to give it a try. So they talked him into it. But guess what Naaman had to do? He had to humble himself. Right? So he humbled himself, dipped in the Jordan seven times, and guess what? He was healed. Now Jesus told these two accounts here, these two stories. The Jews would have been very familiar with these two stories in their Hebrew Bible. So he told these stories, and look at the reaction in verse 28. All the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. Why such rage? Why such rage? Well, before we, or as we begin to answer that question, let's remind ourselves of their attitude, of the Jews' attitude toward the Gentiles during that time. So we all saw the, you know, a lot of the racism in our, in our land the last few years, all the, all the tension WLM and all this nonsense going on. In a sad reality, there is a lot of hatred between people just because of the color of skin. But it wasn't as strong as it was back in between the Jews and Gentiles. They had disdain for one another. The Jews disdained the Gentiles. Listen to this inscription that was written on the temple during that time. Let no Gentile enter within the partition and barrier surrounding the temple, and whoever is caught shall be responsible for his subsequent death. They disdain the Gentiles. Filthy, dirty, unclean Gentiles. That was their attitude to the Gentiles. And here, Jesus is telling these stories <laughs> that these prophets, in verses 25 and 26, Elijah, there's all these widows he could have went to in Israel, but instead he went to this Gentile widow. All of these lepers could have been healed, but instead God heals this Gentile leper. And so the rage, they're, they're hearing what he's saying. They're beginning to understand what he's saying and it says they begin, to be, they, they begin to be angry. The people in the synagogue were filled with rage. It's bad enough that Elijah ministered to the Gentile widow, right? He goes to a... He, he ignores the... The widows in Israel, all these widows he could have went to. But he goes to this Gentile widow in the land of Sidon. Guess who was from the land of Sidon? Jezebel. The wicked Jezebel was from this land. So it's like, it's like, it's like rubbing it in. Jesus is saying, and he's, he's, he's going he's to connect the dots and they know the dots he's connecting. 
On top of that, who was it that sent Elijah to that land? Elijah didn't just choose to go. It was the Lord who sent him. The Lord sent Elijah to this widow in this land where Jezebel's from. Beloved, I'm going to tell you right now, I think, I think one of the things that's going on in their mind, it's the same thing that goes on in men's mind in our day. Men hate God's sovereignty. God chose to do this. Amen. Naaman was not only a Gentile, in our second story, Naaman was not only a Gentile, but a leper. He's a double outcast. He's doubly unclean. He's even an enemy military commander. And Jesus has specifically given them these accounts. They knew what He was saying, beloved. God chose the widow to be provided for. And He chose Naaman to be healed. Why? As a rebuke to unbelief in Israel. That's exactly why Jesus was saying this. And He's making the connection. He's making the connection connecting His present generation to unbelief in Israel in that day. And they know the comparison He's making. That God, you know what? You're not going to believe the message that I'm here to proclaim to you. We'll take it to the Gentiles then. Just like God did with Elijah. Elijah wasn't welcome in his hometown, his, his land. Elisha wasn't welcome. The nation as a whole, they took him for granted. Wow, Jesus. These are my thoughts here. Wow, Jesus. Why so offensive? Man, what is your method, Jesus? It doesn't look like He went to the Southern Baptist method of evangelism. They were speaking well of you. What happened? They were speaking well of you and you had to share this? It's like of all the things you could have shared. Why would you share this? you know why? Because Jesus is not interested in fake faith. He's not interested in surface faith. He knows men's hearts and He's diagnosing the problem. That's what He's doing. He's pressing intentionally on the problem. He knows their hearts. Here's the thing about the two stories. The widow had to believe the words of the prophet. Hey, why don't you give some of that bread to me first? If you do, then God will take care of you. That, that, that was an act of faith. The widow had to believe the words of Elijah. And then God provided for her. If you go on to read, He even healed her son. But she had to exercise, she exercised faith in the Word of God through the Word of Elijah. Naaman, he had to humble himself at the words of the prophet Elisha, right? Go, hey, go wash in the river. Man, that's kind of... You know what that reminds me of? The foolishness of preaching. <laughs> you want me to do what? You're saying I'm a sinner? You're saying I need to trust in a man who died on a cross 2,000 years ago? That's what the Word of God says. If not, you're going to perish. You know what, Naaman? You can just continue on in your leprosy. But if you want to be healed, you'll obey the words of the prophet. Jesus is saying, what's He saying? What, what, what is He getting to with all of this? He is saying, humble yourself. Humble yourself like, like Naaman. Humble yourself like the widow. Believe My words. What words? The words that I just got through saying in the synagogue. That God has sent Me with the good news to save those who would simply recognize their sin. Humble yourself. I am He. There's no 
reason to look elsewhere with all your false religion, all your works, all your false worship. Look to me and be saved. Believe the gospel. Believe the good news. Oh, and then guess what? Miracles may come as a bonus. I may do these things. Again, could Jesus have done it? Absolutely. But what He's telling them, no way. No way am I going to no way am I going to bless you with my hand, right? When you won't even believe my word. Here's a couple of things that Jesus is telling them. He's reminding them through these accounts, and he's reminding all of us. But these self righteous, these self righteous people. See, and another thing, they're, they're sitting here saying, Are you saying this is us? We're the blind? We're the oppressed? We're in need of these things? We're Abraham's children. It's just self-righteousness. A couple things he's telling them, a couple other things he's telling them, is that God will have mercy on whom He will. God's the one that sent these prophets to do what they did. God will have mercy on whom He will. And who are you to talk back to God? Paul's words in Romans 9. Secondly, and I think the main point of this passage, and it's Luke's, it's Luke's point, we were talking this on the way to church, guys, Trish and I, What's, what's Luke's emphasis through the Gospel of Luke? It's this, that Jesus is the Savior of the nations, the Savior of the world. Matthew's Gospel, he's emphasizing that he is the King of the Jews. Luke's emphasis throughout this Gospel is that he is a Savior to all the nations. And that's the emphasis here in this story, in these two stories, that God is a Savior to all the nations, not just to Israel. And they hate it. Genesis 22.18 and many other places were reminded. He told Abraham, in your seed all the nations of the world will be blessed. Not just Israel. And so that's what he's reminding these, these Jews of and they, they hate it. No, he's a, he's a Savior to all the nations. To all of those who would repent. To all those who would believe. So he's saying, you know what? I will take my Gospel elsewhere. And we see it time and time again. He does similar things. To the Pharisees, we'll see as we go throughout the book of Luke. He'll tell them a parable. And they'll get mad and they'll know that He's talking about them. And then He says, guess what? You reject the message. The nation of Israel rejects the message. Then He commands His servants to go to the highways and the byways. Go to the streets. Go to the lane. He's saying go to the Gentile world. Go to those who will hear. If they don't want to hear Me, Go to those who are here. Beloved, if those close to you don't want to hear, and it's, and, it's, and it's grievous when they don't want to hear, but don't stop there. Go to those who will hear. Go to the prostitute. Go to the drug dealer. Go to those who have ears to hear. Go to the highways and the byways. God's going to turn to others because of your stubborn self-righteousness, Israel. And that's His message to all sinners. If you're gonna if you're gonna harden your heart, God will turn to somebody else. The sad thing is, in this in this story, it's what happens to many people. That the truth that Jesus preaches, it only further hardens their hearts. That's what we see going on here. You know, we like quoting Isaiah fifty five eleven, right? It's one of my favorite verses. For my word will not return to me void, but it will accomplish the purpose for which I sent it to accomplish. Sometimes that's to harden a person. We're not in control of that. 
obviously we pray that oh God, your word goes out. We pray that that purpose is to save. But here's a perfect example. They just further they are further hardened by the truth. And they're hardened so much, beloved, that it leads to absolute madness what they do next. It leads to madness. Beloved, we must remember that. The emphasis of this message, one of the truths that I want you to remember, we must remember that the world hates the truth. Don't let it catch you off guard and think you're just automatically doing something wrong. Because that's what many in the church want to tell you. Oh, you're not seeing the results that we're seeing? Look at this. We had a crusade. We had 500 people raise their hand, give their life to Jesus. Well, if, if, if they did it, God saved those people in spite of your methods, not because of it. So we want to be real careful. We want to remember that in the Scriptures, that the world, in a large part, is going to hate the truth of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. So this can protect us from getting discouraged. They hated it so so much, again, it led them to absolute madness. He could not even finish his sermon in verse 29. And they got up and drove him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on on their city which had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. That picture on the front of your bulletin is supposed to be that. supposed to be that place. But picture that, right? I don't know how many times I've shared this Scripture with somebody. They come and say, you're doing it all wrong. Jesus never would have done this. Look at the opposition you're facing. Well, do you know what happened the first time Jesus stood up to preach in his hometown? They tried to kill him. And this is that account. He couldn't even finish his sermon. Beloved, God loathes, loathes, hates, detests. God detests arrogance and self-righteousness. He detests it. It says those who are proud in heart are an abomination to Him. He hates arrogance. He he hates self-righteousness. But you know the sad thing is? The arrogant and the self-righteous, they hate the biblical gospel. Most of the time when you get pushback, it's from people who are just self-righteous and arrogant. And many of them profess the name of Christ. It was no different with Paul. Listen to Listen to Paul in Acts 22, verses 21-22. through 22. He's given his testimony before the Jews. And in verse 21 it says, And the Lord said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. <laughs> listen to how the Jews responded to that statement. They listened to him up to this statement, and they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth! For he should not be allowed to live. Exact same thing happened to Paul. They hate the truth. In this case, the truth that God saves Gentiles and not just Jews. These people despise the truth. That's always the issue. You realize that? You realize that? When you face opposition, preaching the Word of God, sharing the Word of God, it's always when you get down to the bottom, if you can strip everything away, it's a hatred of the truth. It's a hatred of the Word of God. That's always the issue. Jesus said, the world hates me. The world. Right? We, we have it here, those in His hometown. In John chapter 1, it says He came to His own. His own did not receive Him. Meaning the nation of Israel as a whole. Now we see even in His hometown, but in John 7, 7, He says, the world hates me. Why? Because I testify 
about it that its deeds are evil. That's the message they hate. How dare you say that my deeds are evil? No, sir, you misunderstood me. I actually said you're evil. So Jesus called His own disciples evil. It's even more than our deeds. It's our hearts. Our hearts are evil and wicked. And the world hates that message. They always have and they always will. And beloved, they will hate you too. They'll hate you. Don't ever listen to the lie from the watered down peddling gospel that's out there that, oh man, if you just be like Jesus, everybody will love you. I actually have heard those things. I'm like, what Bible are you reading? Now, if, the, if, if, if all the world's going to hate us, what do we do? Do we change the message? Maybe we just tweak it a little. Jesus, why would you have to share that? This is the master evangelist. He could have shared anything he wanted. Beloved, we have to stop trying to make the gospel palatable for this sinful world, right? We have to stop, we have to stop trying to make the gospel pleasant to those who hate the gospel. The gospel is the gospel. The gospel is good news. The gospel is the best news they could ever hear if they just had ears to hear. But we don't ever want to compromise the truth. Jesus told the Jewish leaders in John chapter 8, verse 45, because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. We've talked about that recently, right? Pretty much they'll believe anything you say other than the truth. That's because there's a hatred of the truth. To those who hate the truth, when you tell them the truth, it will sound like hate to them. Why are you hating us? To those who hate the truth, truth will sound like hate. You don't believe me because I speak the truth. So we see the reaction. They choose their desires over the truth, like much of the world. And they despise and hate the truth. And lastly, and briefly, we're going to see God's deliverance to proclaim the truth. Now, it's not God's deliverance in this sense, because this is true, but this is not the emphasis. God delivers us from our sin to proclaim the truth. That's not what we're looking at here. God's deliverance to preach the truth in verse 30. Passing through their midst, he went his way. That's all it said. That's where we're going to stop. But passing through his midst, he went his way. How do we respond to this? What should we do when we know that the world by and large is going to hate our message? How do we respond to this? What should we do? Should we cower? Should we say, well, then we better not preach the truth. <clears throat> we just avoid it altogether? Because of the fear of man, right? I don't want to lose my life. I don't want to lose this. I don't want to lose this. So I better just keep my mouth shut. I think the first thing we do is listen to the warning of, of Jesus. A warning. It's both a warning and an encouragement, I believe. He told His disciples in Luke 12, 4 and 5, Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. Who would that be, guys? Somebody say it. Yeah, we don't fear man, right? Don't, don't fear Him. Who, they can kill your body. But they can't kill your soul. They can't do nothing with your soul. All they can do is kill your body. He literally picks the worst thing that, 
that man can do to you. Don't fear those who can literally kill you, just your body. Don't fear them. But rather fear who? Him. Who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That's the mindset we must have. Stop fearing man and fear God. There's too much fear of man that we all have to battle against. But in the church at large, we fear man more than we fear God. Listen to, listen to Paul's thoughts in Acts 20, verse 24. I think, he's, I think he hits this point right on the head that we can apply. He says, But I do not consider my life of any account. My life here on earth. I don't consider my life of any account as dear to myself. So this physical life that I hear, that, or that I have right now, he said, I, I don't consider, consider it dear as to myself. That's like opposite of the way the world thinks. Everything is about preserving your life, preserving your life, preserving your life. Because that's all you have, right? Paul says just the opposite. I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. Why? So that I may finish my course. There's a course. There's a job for Paul to do. And what is that? And the ministry which I have received from the Lord. What, what is that ministry? Here it is, guys. And it's true for all of us. To testify solemnly of the Gospel of the grace of God. I don't consider my life of any account as dear to myself. What do you say? To, to live as Christ. So when God has me here, what's He doing? He's preaching the Gospel. He's preaching Christ. To die is gain. What a mentality to have. That when I'm here, it's all about Christ. And I'm not fear of death. Right? I'm not fearful of death. Because that's even better. You know, it's hard to, it's hard to kill a man who's already died. When we died ourselves. It's hard, to, it's hard to intimidate a man who just fears God. That's what Paul's saying. I don't care. These things aren't important in the long run. Why? So that I can just finish my course that God has given me, right? He has saved us by grace alone, through faith alone, so that we, might not, so that we may not boast, but he has a, what has He appointed us for? The good works that He has given us to walk in. To testify the gospel of Jesus Christ. Beloved, this is the key. To have this mindset. To have this mindset, what are you living for? That's what I'm getting at. What are you living for? Are you living for your bank account? Are you living for retirement? Are you living for the comforts of this world? Are you living for the... And, and these things aren't bad in and of themselves. But is that what you're living for? John said this to Christians in 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. The lust of the flesh. God forbid that as Christians we would live simply for the lust of the flesh. Or the lust of the eyes. Or the boastful pride of life. Look what I have. Look at my boat. Look at my status. Look at my job. Look at my career. That should not be the things that motivate us. What are you living for? You know what's amazing about verse 30, beloved, in closing? They got their miracle. 
You say, how'd they get their miracle? Passing through their midst, he went his way. That was miraculous. God delivered him. We don't know how it doesn't say, but obviously God delivered him. Maybe he, maybe he caused them caused confusion in their midst or caused blindness, but God delivered him. That's why I entitled this third point, God's deliverance to preach the truth. God delivered him because his job wasn't done. Right? Jesus would die at the appointed time. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. He had the will of God to do. He, came, he said, I came to do the will of God. We were just talking about last week. He came to preach. Later in Luke, he says, I have to go to these other cities to preach to them also. Jesus was not going to be thrown off this cliff because it wasn't God's timing. He would, be, he would be killed at the hands of godless men when he was nailed to the cross because that was God's plan. God delivered him. Why? To continue to press forward to the cross to fulfill his ministry. And beloved, to that point, to our last point, speaking to you, do you really believe? Speaking to you right where you're at, your life. Do you really believe that God is sovereign over your life? What do we tell people all the time? It applies to us as well. It's been appointed for a man wants to die. Your appointment's already set. You're not going to die a minute sooner or a minute later. He is sovereign over your life. He has you in the palm of His hands. Don't fear what men can do. Don't fear not being fed or not being clothed. He will clothe you if He clothes the flowers of the field. He will take care of you. He has saved you. He has left you here to be His witness. Is He not going to take care of you? Is He not going to preserve your life? It was George Whitfield who said, we are immortal until our work on earth is done. I love that. It sounds arrogant, but it's true. You are immortal until God's done with you. Apply that to your heart, beloved. The righteous are bold as a lion, the Scripture says. And it's when we have this mentality that we can walk in boldness before an unbelieving world. That we can walk in boldness. That we we can walk in love. That we can... Not revile when we're reviled. We don't have to revile in return. We don't have to get down to that level. We can simply love with the truth, shake the dust off our feet, and go elsewhere when they don't want to listen. And so, beloved, it's really that simple in closing. We can obey God. We can obey God. We can trust God and simply leave the consequences to Him. Amen? Father, we are reminded of Your great love for us, God, of Your sovereign hand over us, of Your job You've given us to simply be Your witnesses, to proclaim the truth, the truth by which You save sinners, the truth by which the church is sanctified, the truth that the world hates, God, but, Father, that Your people love. Father, give us courage, Lord. Give us boldness. Help us to, to be like Paul, Lord. To, to remember that this life is a vapor. That there's eternity ahead of us. There's eternity to live for. There are souls to be saved. And it comes through the preaching of Your Word. 
Father, give us this mentality, Lord. Help us to be bulldogs with this mentality, God. To press forward. To realize that if our life is taken, it was Your will. To realize that we are immortal until that day. To realize that we have the sovereign God of the universe watching over us and protecting us and directing our steps. Father, give us courage. Give us boldness. Give us compassion to love our neighbors with the truth. Father, we thank You for the example of Christ, our Lord, and telling sinners not what they want to hear, but what they need to hear. Because it's the truth that Your Spirit uses to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So Father, we thank You for this clear pattern that we see in Scripture. We love You. Praise You in Jesus' name. Amen.